All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Dane and Nick podcast, episode 747.3, baby. In all seriousness, I have no idea what episode it is. So first and foremost, we're in the middle of a 12-part segment. This is part number two of covering Pac-12 football. Please don't get caught up in the big number. Just letting you know it's coming up in the following weeks here. Plain and simple, we'll be covering Oregon Ducks football in 10 to 15 minutes or less this week. Um, so without further ado, let's get, 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 get to it. So again, covering the Ducks this week. And before we hop ahead kind of into next year's preview, I know it's a little early, it's a spring we will take a quick look back at last year and what a phenomenal year it was for the Ducks. Obviously, Pac-12 champions, Rose Bowl champions, and a thoroughly impressive win in the Rose Bowl. Um, they could have folded, forced a fumble late, if I'm remembering correctly off the top of my head. Justin Herbert let him down for the game-winning score. What a way for the senior to end his career, and what a way for the program to continue building in the right direction. A Rose Bowl win is a Rose Bowl win. Obviously, they had some higher and loftier goals last year. But again, a Rose Bowl win is a Rose Bowl win. You're doing some pretty cool things, man. Smelling the roses out here. So as always with the Dane and Nick podcast, we'll get you in and out quick. This podcast should take no longer than 15 minutes, maybe 16 or 17, maybe even 18. But bottom line is we'll be quick. We'll be to the point. This is essentially we're going to give you some water cooler information, just some basic, maybe a little bit more in-depth information so you can sound cool talking to your buddy about Pac-12 football. And again, this week. The, oh, the, the Sko Ducks. Go Ducks, baby. So, popping to this year's team, reading some of the local articles in Corvallis, and I will talk a little bit more in depth, obviously, in, the, in my uh, body uh, paragraph, for lack of better terms. But looking at this year's team and reading some local articles out of Eugene, I feel like they may, um, some fans may kind of be underestimating the loss of Justin Herbert. He was a stud. He was a really great all-around quarterback. I don't know what that means for him at the NFL, but the college level, he had it all. Great team leader, great arm, knew when to run the ball, fired up the troops, stayed consistent, stayed humble. So for a third-year sophomore quarterback, or excuse me, a redshirt sophomore quarterback, third-year in the program, Tyler Shue, there's going to be some learning hurdles, and it's not going to be very easy. So expecting him to come in and fulfill the role right away as some kind of stud like he was Herbert, that's probably unlikely, and there are going to be some bumps, especially considering they lost five linemen, uh, five offensive linemen, including four starters. That That's not going to be easy to come back from, plain and simple. On the defensive side of the ball, they should be absolutely freaking amazing this year, led by um, Thibodeau. What's my dude's first name right now? I'm blanking on his first name, but Thibodeau is an absolute stud, great pass rusher. Kayvon Thibodeau, that's what it is. <laughs> you like that thought off the top? Yeah, so Kayvon Thibodeau. Best pass rusher. They have an experienced secondary. So from Seattle, that's my brief little synopsis off the top. We're going to kick it down to Dane in Tucson. He's going to get you started on his end, and I'll be back for the body. Thanks for tuning in as always. And this week, Skoducks. Looking forward to the Ducks 2020 season. I think I'm a little bit more optimistic about their hopes then Nick, um, Tyler show, I know he doesn't have very much experience, but in the game or games that I saw him play in last year, uh, he looked pretty good and capable of running the offense. It was somewhat in garbage time, if I remember, or there was like a weird possession, I think maybe against USC where he got in cause Herbert's helmet came off and, um, 
he threw a few passes in that game too in garbage time, I think, if I remember correct. But um, yeah, no, he's a uh, shows a good player, and I don't think the drop off on in quarterback is going to be all that major, to be honest. And uh, the most important thing for the Ducks is their defense. You know that defense is probably going to be the best in the Pac-12, and one of the best in the country. So when you have that as your baseline. Um, you, you're going to win games just because of that. It doesn't matter how poor or, you know, um, how, how much the offense struggles when you have a really high quality defense. That's one of the, you know, elite of college football, you're going to win a lot of games and they're obviously the favorite in the North. And I don't think it's going to be all that close of a, of a battle up there in the North division. I think Oregon probably wins that by two or three games and, yeah, so um, really on offense, I think C.J. Fordell is, is coming back. You know, he's it's a big factor. It's a major um, contributor on offense who's going to really drive that team uh, in the run game. And um, But other than that, um, you know, their offensive line is revamped. They lost a few players. Um, so they're going to have, you know, a new line basically – coming in and the good thing with the Oregon Ducks is they've had fantastic recruiting classes you know for several years now so um you know one of the top in the country but also certainly the top in the Pac-12. My bad y'all in the last segment I said reading local articles out of Corvallis I know that Oregon's in Eugene, guys. Come on, I know this. But, I mean, does it really matter if I make that mistake? I mean, you guys have beaten the Beavers at, like, everything since, I don't know, history, the world started. Seriously. And it feels like you've won every Civil War since the 1930s. So, is this a mistake that big of a deal? I mean, <laughs> I'm probably, now I'm probably angering some Beaver fans. But in all seriousness, reading the local articles out of Eugene, got nothing for, for love for both these schools, Oregon and Oregon State. But this week's episode is about Oregon, so we're going to further on here, keep on diving in a little bit deeper with the Ducks' upcoming season. So first and foremost, I think a lot of people are trying to figure out who's going to replace quarterback Justin Herbert, or how that's going to look, not who's going to do it, but how's it going to look. And I feel that the real answer is no one really knows. So you have Tyler Shue, who's a, how do I say this correctly, third-year player, but a redshirt sophomore. Nailed it, baby. (laughs) <laughs> but no, so I mean, he really is limited stats, limited action last year. I believe he's 12 for 15 from the field. Had like three rushes for like 10 yards or something. Like not enough to make any real judgment. 12 for 15 looks good, but that's not a big enough body work. So let's just, come on, stop with that. Stop with that, please. The other option, uh, speed, let's slow down here for a second. The other option is going to be Jay Butterfield, who's a four-star prospect. I don't know if he's a redshirt freshman or a redshirt sophomore or just a true freshman, but he's the other op- uh, option. Like I said, though, it's probably going to be Tyler Shue. Not enough to make a real judgment, but one thing's for sure, filling Justin Herbert's uh, shoes is not going to be easy. It's going to be very difficult. But one thing that may be working in his advantage is Oregon hired a new offensive coordinator Offensive coordinator, and Joe Moorhead. Brings me to not really point number two, but just big kind of news here. So, He's previous experience being the head coach of Fordham, where Chase Edwards is one of the most dynamic playmakers in the country at the FCS level. If you don't know who he is, because I sure as heck don't, and I'm just throwing that stat out there, he was the off- offensive coordinator for Penn State. With this running back, you may have heard of him. It's like 
Barkley, Saqu- Saquon Barkley, something like that. So obviously he directed the Saquon Barkley Penn State offenses. Should be pretty fun watching Oregon. Maybe with a running attack like that, get back to the kind of Chip Kelly style air offensive, but it'll look different, obviously. Not maybe not so much motion, that sort of things. But yeah, so which now so we've covered the new quarterback, the new offense coordinator, and this is just the big thing I think that maybe people aren't looking at as Oregon. They have a lack of weapons on the offensive end. They lost four starting offensive linemen, including a fifth who was a pivotal piece in the starting rotation. The one the one big thing they do have is Penai Suell to carry the left side of the line. He's a legitimate Heisman candidate. So building around him is going to be absolutely phenomenal. Remember the name, Penai Suell, if I'm saying that right. So remember it if I'm saying it right. So they're going to need to find at least one or two more pieces to help fill out the line. Help, Yeah, I mean, he can't do it by himself, point blank. Their halfback, CJ Verdell, I'm not really sold on him as an elite playmaker. Watched him a bunch last year. He's just... I mean, he's a good player. Like, don't get me wrong, he's a really good player, but he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't stand out that elite playmaker to me. So, nothing that defenses in the Pac 12 are going to think super deep about. And they never really had that standout wide receiver last year. Johnny Johnson, the third, was a good player, but again, not a standout. So, is Oregon going to have really just someone on offense? I'm not seeing this standout. I can't say stand out one more freaking time, baby. But no, I'm just not seeing this guy who can really take over a game, cause defenses to lose sleep over. There's no one really there. So Mario Cristobal was a former offensive lineman, and his work on the O-line essentially this year could probably determine how far this team goes on the offensive side of the ball. With that, we're going to head over to the defensive side of the ball. But just quickly to recap, their offense doesn't have too much, really just not too much, regardless of what people are saying. I think a lot of people are sold on running back C.J. Verdell, if you want to remember one name, and obviously lineman Penai Sewell, offensive lineman. So now hopping over to the defensive side of the ball, they're led by Kayvon Thibodeau, who's a freakish, <laughs> freaking beast of a pass rusher. He worked his way from the bench into the starting rotation and becoming one of the key playmakers by the end of last season. That's just a name to remember. Complete, absolute freaking beast in Kayvon Thibodeau. They have an experienced secondary in Thomas Graham Jr., Veron McKinley III in Javon Holland. They return three, I think, well, at least those three. <laughs> I'm trying to get all analytical here. But at least those three guys. So they're going to have some nice experience. And having three experienced players in the secondary could prove wondrous, especially in the Pac-12. Could be very dangerous. Joining Kayvon Thibodeau up front, they have Jordan Scott, Mese Funa, and, and I was going to say Thibodeau again. I should t- tell you how big of a threat Thibodeau is. But um, I'm probably murdering the name, Mase Funa, Mace Funa. I'm not sure exactly how to say it. So as I mentioned in the offensive segment that the offensive line, um, the work of Mario Cristobal on the offensive line could be the pivotal kind of, it'll determine how well the offense does. I think how defensive coordinator Andy, Andy, eh, Andy, I think how defensive coordinator Andy Avalos draws up his scheme this year should be the key to the team. Oregon's going to be need to be led by their defense this year. And I think that, really just going to come up to the defensive coordinator. They have the talent there. They have the elite playmaker. They have a good secondary. They have good balanced pass rush. So they should be all right. I mean, this defense is going to really need to lead the team. Briefly looking at their schedule, I'm running over my time here. So it's maybe 18 whole minutes out of your life, guys, between me and Dane combined. But I'll really briefly go over their schedule. So they host North North Dakota State. You never want to overlook them. These guys are like the 18-time FCS national championship. Obviously, that's... 
not a real stat, but they seriously win like the national championship on that level. It feels like every year. Pretty sure they won last year. After that, they host Ohio State. You don't need to hear more about that. That's going to be arguably one of the game uh, non-conference games of the year. Should be a lot of fun early in the season. Oregon, Ohio State. We uh, at least matchup number two for Oregon. Circle that. And then in the Pac-12 play, they host UW, they host USC, and they host Stanford. It's still kind of to be determined how the other Pac-12 teams are going to look this year. And they miss Utah altogether. So between those four teams, they have a really good chance to probably win the Pac-12 again. So as long as they come 1-1 one and one out of that opening stretch against North Dakota State and against Ohio State, they should be all right. A lot of analysts around the country have this team ranked as a top-10 team, seen on Athlon, seen, seen on 247. So a lot of people have this team like ranked 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, depending on the poll. And many, many people have, people have them projected to win the Pac-12. As for me, I think their offense does need to improve point blank, or at least prove themselves. They, Like I said, they really don't have an elite playmaker, unless you want to call C.J. Verdell that, their halfback. And everything else is kind of up in the air, regardless of who these recruits are highly recruited, blah, blah, blah. They haven't played big-time college football yet, so we'll need to see it. And the defense will have to will really determine how far this team goes, bottom line. They have all the talent they need led by Kayvon Thibodeau and defensive coordinator Andy Avalos. So the defense will take this team as far as they can go. And it should be interesting to see. I'm not going to make a projection projection too early in the year for that. So, yep, Dane will take you out. Thanks for listening. Good luck to all Pac-12 teams. And for this episode, go Ducks. The key is their schedule, and if you look at it, they have five road games all year. And let me let me give them to you. So they go to Colorado, to California, to Arizona, to Washington State, and to Oregon State. Um, so, uh, yeah, that is a very soft away game schedule. In other words, all of those away games are certainly winnable. And they're probably going to be favored to win every single one of those. And so if you just make the assumption that they don't lose at home, except for maybe against Ohio State uh, and possibly against USC, um, you know, they have a very uh, friendly schedule. They have a very um, good chance of, if not running the table, losing maybe one or at the very most, two games all season. Um, the game against Ohio State, obviously, is going to be one of the biggest games in the country all season. As Nick mentioned, that North Dakota State game to open up the year is not a cakewalk. They can't overlook that. Um, the game against Hawaii, you know, Hawaii doesn't have Rolovich anymore. They do have a good quarterback out there in Hawaii, but the game's in Oregon, so it's probably going to be a blowout. Uh, UW comes to Eugene, Stanford comes to Eugene, as I mentioned, USC, Arizona State comes to Eugene. Um, that'll be a good rematch. It's also on Friday the 13th. So go ahead and circle the ASU game as uh, just a wild card. And then they finish the year with two road games um, at Wazoo and at Oregon State. So just based on that, um, there's no way that they're going to have less than two wins if they're going to live up to expectations. In all likelihood, they probably lose that game to Ohio State, but you never know. And then they run the Pac-12, and I'm fully expecting uh, a playoff appearance, and anything less than that I'll be disappointed with. 
a rose bowl is going to be the very um, bottom for me. The the floor is the rose bowl. So uh, we'll see how it all works out for them. Tyler Show is going to be the deciding factor. Really, his ability to run that offense is going to determine their success. All right, I'm talking into my phone again, ladies and gentlemen. That must mean the Dane and Nick podcast is back. So this week we are in part three of a 12-part segment. We're covering all 12 teams here in the Pac-12. You know, a little spring preview type of action type stuff. So this week we're going to be covering the USC Trojans, the Men of Troy, the prestigious program that is USC football. So before we dive into the upcoming season, we're going to take a quick look back at last year's schedule and their results. So they finished 8-5 overall, an impressive 7-2 in conference, and I believe finished second in the South Division. Obviously, Utah won that division, but the Trojans did find a way to compete down the stretch, but fell up just short. So looking at their schedule as a whole last year, nothing too notable in the first two games. Um, pretty kind of just basic wins against Fresno State and Stanford. A glaring loss at BYU. Not a loss that USC should expect. BYU is a great program, no disrespect to them. But this is the mighty men of Troy, and that loss is not acceptable. They followed that up with an impressive victory against Utah, led by third-string quarterback Matt Fink. Huge win in the Coliseum. Huge, huge, huge win. Shows what they're capable of. And looking at the rest of the schedule, there's nothing too notable. The losses are kind of expected. The wins were kind of expected. If there's two games we're going to pull out, in particular here, it was getting blown out by Oregon at home, 24-56. to You can't let that happen at home. That's absolutely embarrassing. And they followed that up with a very impressive win at ASU. So, all in all, again, finishing 8-5, second place in the Pac-12 South Division. Uh, they beat rival UCLA and then lost in the Holiday Bowl, getting blown out of the water. 24 to 49. So there's your brief little recap, gang. That that's how we do it around these parts. Oh man, I'm trying to pull up my notes. Can I get my notes back up? Man, I don't need my notes for this part. Y'all should know this. So, as always, Dane and Nick back in action. We'll get you in and out with quick facts. This podcast will take no more than 20 minutes max. I got a life. Dane's got a life. Our publisher's got a life. And you all got lives. So they give us some water cooler information, some basic facts with a little bit of deep detail if you want to sound extra, extra fancy. So without further ado, I'll hop into my quick intro for the Trojans and then we'll get into the body. So just really, really quickly, USC is probably going to have a very talented offense. They return most of their offensive um, stars, for lack of better terms, with the exception of wideout Michael Pittman Jr. On the defensive side of the ball, that's really going to determine how far this team goes. And probably the defensive side of the ball is going to determine whether Clay Helton will be coaching in 2021 or not. But for now, we'll focus on 2020. So again, USC should have all the talent on offense in the world. Defense still yet to be determined. And I'll dive into more deep detail in the next paragraph or in the body segment. Same right and fam. This is segments. So without further ado, from a beautiful Seattle down to Tucson and Dane. Dane gets started. Always good to hear from you, bud. <laughs> 